Yeah, let's do it. I'm pumped. Let's let the healing begin. God help you if you use voiceover in your work, my friends. God help you. It's flaccid, sloppy writing. I don't want you to be the guy in the PG-13 movie. Everyone's really hoping makes it happen. I want you to be like the guy in the rated R movie, you know? The guy you're not sure whether or not you like yet. Hello and welcome to this... Well, it's not a very special edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. It's back, me and Lee, the varsity team, as you described us, Lee. And we're missing Jeremy again this week, but hopefully he'll be back next week. Um, And this week we're going to be talking about Widows, a uh, film that came out quite a while ago, but we're just getting to it, so deal. Um, And then we're going to. I do want to just point out that there's a. I think that there was a bit of a reason for that, and it had a lot to do with my hesitancy. Which I'm sure we'll talk about to a little see bit the movie? with this movie because it. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, because it didn't. It didn't strike me as something particularly interesting. Um, it's sort of a look to be a bit of a cliche genre film, but then you have Steve McQueen, who is, you know, quite the auteur directing it, which I think uh, sort of inspired you to run out and see it, and then encouraged us to see it. So th- there was sort of a reason behind the delay. Okay, well, you're interrupting my intro, so. Let me Sorry, continue. I thought that was no, that's, important. That's, that is important. Um, and then <laughs> we're going to uh, move on to a discussion of something else. And then we're going to wrap it all up with our top five widows or widowers. You have no idea, do you? Or did you choose not to know? Your husband stole $2 million from me. This is about my life. This is about my life. And because it's about my life, it now becomes about yours. <laughs> okay, Lee, so you uh, rudely interrupted my intro to talk about a little bit about something that I'm that you sort of prefaced my question, uh, which is good. Um, but uh, I, I'm, I'm wondering, um, you, you weren't particularly excited to go out and see this movie, as you mentioned, and... Um, it's been getting actually quite quite good reviews as an 84 on Metis, uh, Metacritic, which is pretty good. Um, but it just did not seem to, uh, at least in America, capture the uh, audience's attention at all. It didn't do very particularly well in the box office. It hasn't been really talked about very much. The Golden Globes just came out um, last week, and uh, I don't think Widows was nominated for anything. Do you? Do, am I wrong there? Do you know if it was I don't, or not? I think you're. I, I think you're right. I don't think it was. I, I thought that that was somewhat conspicuous too. Um, and so I'm wondering uh, why you think that is. Um, it's a good question. Specifically, the point about the box office, because, like I said, like my my reservations about this movie had to do with sort of what the trailer was suggesting. It sure. looks like kind of. Um, you know, a, a take on a heist movie. Um, you know, I heard some half-hearted comparisons out there about uh, this versus Ocean's 8, uh, which I don't think is totally fair. But regardless, like, I think that was sort of kind of what the marketing was going for here. Um, you know, what I think interests us and I think probably what is taking part in the critical acclaim for this movie, the 84 on Metascore, has a lot to do with Steve McQueen who uh, we know as a director for Hunger, Shame, and 12 Years a Slave, which won Best Picture. But the movie looks like a heist thriller, uh, right. an action thriller. It's got Liam Neeson in it. Um, you know, it's got some some badass women acting like badasses in the trailers. And I think 
that was the intention there was to draw an audience and the fact that it didn't i think is very interesting um i think what's happened since then uh in terms of you know it's lack of golden globe nominations versus its critical acclaim i think that's uh certainly something that we're going to discuss more as we get into our opinions but i'm i'm sort of I, i don't know that i'm really surprised that it didn't do really well in theaters but uh what what is the box office numbers here so i mean it did 38 12 million it did 35 yeah 38 domestically and um 26 foreign so it may have more um areas to open in um uh abroad but yeah it looks like it's not it's gonna probably break 40 and that's not that's not great um yeah not great um but yeah, I mean, I, what I what I think is interesting about Widows is that uh, it's got this sort of all star all star cast as you described. I think it was kind of marketed in a way that was not disingenuous to how the movie really is, but um, kind of played up the elements that you just mentioned that are a little bit more popcorn. You know, the um, yeah, yeah, the big uh, very the exceptional cast, um, the kind of you know it, it twist on uh, the. Uh, heist film the the badass women um but um yeah I, and so it was sort of a mystery and surprising to me that this movie didn't do well both commercially and critically i mean it, it got very good reviews but it just didn't seem to sort of it doesn't seem to it's going to be a very it's not going to be a player it seems in the um, award season discussions and um Ultimately, I mean, is that something you're disappointed with? Let's get into your thoughts on the movie, unless you have more to say about this. No, and uh, I'm not disappointed, actually. I, um, I'm i surprised a bit at the reviews um, that this movie was getting. I think, among other things, just to kind of kick things off, I think it's got a serious identity crisis. Mm. Um, and I don't know that that's always... Or I, in this case, I don't know if this is, that's a bad thing. Like, I... I sort of respected what Steve McQueen was trying to do here. Um, and perhaps I was a little duped by the trailers in this movie and was expecting something different. But I don't know that... This, was this movie a heist movie? Was it a political thriller? Where, was this a, more of just kind of a, a quiet exploration of, of class and, you know, Chicago and kind of the inner workings of, of that city? I, I had a hard time really trying to understand what point McQueen was trying to focus on the most here and there was clearly a through line that he and he was trying to connect all those dots but I I had a hard time sort of navigating that yeah it certainly had an identity crisis I agree with you about that um go go into that more because I think I feel like you're gonna hit something that I it's interesting that you so I'm reading the little like byline of of like what A.O. Scott said, and it's a, uh, from the New York Times. Is the result is a fascinating and sometimes frustrating hybrid, a film that tries both to transcend and to exploit its genre, which I feel like is a pretty good. <laughs> well, yeah, it is, and there's two there's two things that I'll point out that sort of frustrated me, and one has to do with uh, a sort of. Well, I guess they both do, but this kind of Steve McQueen signature of the long take. Um, is, and, is that a signature of his? I think so. Um, I okay. mean, he was very famous for that with the, uh, one scene in particular in in Hunger um, mm. with Fassbender. And I know he's done it a lot. And I was sort of went in sort of expecting that. And you had two scenes in particular in this movie that did it. 
Um, but one specifically was the car ride with Colin Farrell. Right. Um, with the camera mounted on the hood of the car. Uh, and it's got sort of a lot of chatter about it and the significance of that shot. Uh, and basically, to kind of summarize it quickly, he, he gets into uh, the town car with, I guess it's his campaign manager, lover, yeah, assistant, we're not really sure. Yeah. Uh, and he sort of goes on this tyrant, you know, about, you know, anything and everything. It's a little bit racist. It's a little bit uh, misogynistic. It's it's sort of um, it's sort of uh, his his kind of uh, subconscious spilling out of his mouth when he, in the confines of this car because he can't say it because he's running for a political position. Um, and as that's happening, the camera sort of slowly pans, staying on the hood of the car as it's driving through uh, through the town. Uh, across, you see the driver who happens to be black, which I, and, you know, I think that was given a little more credit than uh, was necessary because that's there as he's going on this uh, racist tyrant. And and before I kind of get too long-winded here, basically you see sort of the, the best and the worst of the city of Chicago uh, with that pan. And the reason I bring that scene up is because that, that tells me that this movie is trying to summarize, like I said, that exploration of class. Like, you know, what Colin Farrell is running for this, this, um, this uh, office seat and promising that he's going to, you know, revitalize this neighborhood in Chicago. And then you see that he's living in this, you know, mansion just down the street. Right. And it's supposed to kind of give you this, you know, juxtaposition of class. And, and that's interesting, but... That to me is a totally different story than the widows uh, left behind by their husbands that were killed in a heist, um, leading man being Liam Neeson. And they try to blend those two storylines with like who is heisting who, and it got all really convoluted. And I think it was all there to try to allow some twists to make sense, but it got messy. Did that all make sense? I kind of went went on. There. No, no, I think it totally did. I think um, that, yeah, that shot is getting a lot of recognition. I think just to clarify some things, it, basically the camera's on the hood of the car for the same shot. You see him, it pans, you see him get in the car, and then that conversation he has is not really on screen. You can't see them in the car. But basically right. there's this dialogue happening while this driver is driving through, and it's basically there to show how, you know, the city of Chicago kind of famously is is segregated but they're everybody's sort of living very closely together and you know you've got these you know this variety of different classes and and races and you know sort of pushed together in this very small area and within the you know a sort of uh short and slow car ride you go from one very distinct environment to another um i i agree with you i i think that um the McQueen was trying to do, and this, we should mention it's it's co-written by uh, Gillian Flynn, who who wrote the uh, Gone Girl book and has written some other things. Um, I think they were trying to do a lot with this movie that um, I, I I did find confusing. I don't know that I I'm, I'm going to come down on as hard on it as you are, and I don't know that necessarily. Um, all those elements didn't work um, on an individual basis. I think what I had a problem with was just how they, how the sort of the elements I was less interested in affected, you know, basically the elements I was more interested in. Um, I wanted to see, I think I wanted to see more of a, 
Michael Mann style thriller here. Um, you know, I, I like I, I keep mentioning this on the podcast that I'm waiting for, you know, the heir apparent to Michael Mann to emerge. Um, and there are some right. candidates. Um, but this this looked like, you know, it could be one of those type of movies. It's kind of got this spin. It's got these strong female characters. And I, I wanted to see the crime aspect of it. That was the story I was invested in. And it was very surprising to me, um, you know, knowing kind of the broad strokes of the story to have this open, the movie open with this conversation between Colin Farrell and um, who's that actor? He's getting a lot of attention lately. Um, uh, uh, Brian, Brian Tyree. Tyree Henry. Yeah. Um, which I which I thought was good, and I think that was an interesting plot line. But I was a little confused as to why you know how this fit in, and then throughout the rest of the story, that element um, seemed very. I mean, one uh, sort of firstly, it seemed a little ham fisted into the sort of the what I guess we'll call the sort of main narrative of the movie, which is these women having to repay this debt to the Brian Tyree Henry character. Um, that their that their uh, husbands owed because they stole from him and had died, and then the money was blown up, um, and it felt it felt a little far fetched this connection between these two storylines, um, but sort of very separately from that, you you had this had that same element of these that same storyline kind of slowly blending into the other one, and um, we we. And we don't maybe want want to reveal reveal it right now. Eventually, we understand that connection a little bit more, or, or they kind of smash into each other at the end. And I, I didn't I, I didn't have a problem with that. I mean, I can I can overlook sort of far fetched um, storylines. I mean, it is a movie after all. I just was I just wanted to see more of those women of this of the main storyline of the of the widows, you know, having to repay this debt. And I was every time we cut away to the Colin Farrell story, I was a little. You know, I was a little less interested. Yeah, I mean, I suppose to a certain extent, I wish that I saw more of, you know, those women and that storyline. But I, perhaps more so than uh, me being bothered by this identity crisis this movie had, I was bothered by by those women in this movie. Um, Viola Davis in particular. Um, oh, you didn't like I her? Don't think, I don't think it was... I don't think... The performances were entirely the actor's fault, specifically Viola Davis and Michelle Rodriguez. I don't think either one of them was particularly good in this movie. Um, But it was really the way that those characters were written. The dichotomy between their, essentially their characterizations was ridiculous. Like you have one scene where they're like sobbing over how in over their head they are. And then the next scene you got um, you know, Viola Davis talking about how nobody thinks we've got the balls to pull this off, and Michelle Rodriguez talking about how they don't know what it's like in prison. And I'm like, oh my god! Like all of a sudden, you guys are super tough, and then the next scene, you guys are like sobbing with your dog, and you, you know, they seem totally clueless and out of their element. It couldn't decide which one it wanted to do, and it drove me nuts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's that's. I I guess I see that sort of point of view. I like their story. I mean, yes, I, I don't, you know, I don't find Michelle. I did not find Michelle Rodriguez to be very convincing in this, in this story. Um, I, 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 I'm kind of waiting for her to become the actress. Everybody seems to say she is, but she seems Who is to, saying this is my I, question. Yeah, like, that's I, a good question. <laughs> I mean, she seems out of her element with, uh, 
especially Elizabeth Debicki and Vi- Viola Davis around her. Um, Debicki, I thought was really good. She I was did, the yeah. one standout for me. Yeah, I liked her a lot. Uh, I thought she was great. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't entirely agree with you. I mean, I think, I think that they they just had to rally, um, you know, to to pay this awful debt, and so. I mean, your your problem is is what that they it seems so, a little. I, I they they did have to rally, and that's okay. But there needed to be some subtlety to it, essentially. Like it was just the it was the the extremes that bo- that were portrayed for both sides of their emotions. Like that you I'm trying to think of the best way to kind of term it, or if I had an example, but like that that line that's in the trailer where Viola Davis says you know nobody thinks we have the balls to pull this off like that it's so led up to and that line is such like a badass line and i think it's supposed to portray these women as strong but that's not what that character would say like there would be some some fear like i feel like there would be like a you know more of a like what other choice do we have let's just like if we if we do this together if we stick to the plan this can work like that's why we're doing yeah like, also who that, is that, saying that like like not a, you know who's they right. yeah <laughs> i mean who knows so, about it yeah all the other guys are like God, yeah. i hope these women don't band together they can totally get us <laughs> uh. um so i just felt like the the extremes were too extreme like I, if there was a middle ground for both sides of those emotions i feel like the, that those characters would be way more interesting and and you're right. Then that story would, you know, totally be the one I'd want to follow. And then as a result, also, I think it would help kind of merge these two stories together because, I don't know, like everything just felt so big and on the nose, like yet still at the same time, especially on the kind of, you know, political end of it, confusing and convoluted. I don't know. It was, it, I felt like it It was sloppy. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then on top of all of that, you know, I had like I said, I I sort of went into this expecting that those long takes from from Steve McQueen and we got the one we talked about. We also had one in the gym where uh spoiler alert, Daniel Kaluuya kills somebody that was involved in the the that final heist of the of the guys. Um so we got those types of things and I'm seeing that and I'm seeing all this build up and I'm like, okay, you know what? This is gonna have this is gonna have a heist scene at the end that's gonna be shot so brilliantly. He's gonna do it in all one take. It's gonna be amazing. And then it was the boringest heist scene I've ever seen. Hmm. And I just like this is this this proves that that's not what this movie is about. And like it can't decide what it's about. And it and it was it was difficult because I was like, this has some pieces here, but it's not. It, I almost feel like it wasn't, you know, giving itself enough credit to you know put it all together yeah that it's an interesting um phenomenon i think when there's there's all these really great pieces there's sort of the each element is is so good but then something there's this strange sort of habit of directors and writers as as to just to sort of pack all this information into this movie i'll pack all this you know all these storylines and characters and uh, into this movie and it you know it, it they just they just take away from each other i mean i think you're saying something a little bit different than i am but that was that's that's my 
problem with with widows. I mean, I I I, I don't know that I totally didn't. I, I don't know that I wouldn't not recommend it. I might you know I might give it a thumbs up, but it could have been so much better. I mean, the the elements that interested me, I just thought they were. They, it's like as if Steve McQueen was distracted. You know, he didn't seem to. Yeah. I don't know what what we gain from all these other storylines and all these complicated um, elements. And the and and I think what's an interesting discussion and one that we, you know, maybe we can follow up this discussion with. Um, but is like you know how filmmakers decide what what does that end up on screen. I mean we we hear these famous stories about you know recutting a movie and the uh, the way a, a film changes from its script and when it was shot to the final product and um this isn't a a big budget movie but it's not a it's not a small budget and um i'm sure they had the resources to make the movie they wanted to and i i just i always wonder why you know people tend to you know kind of jam stuff in, you know over sort of overburden the audience with information and storylines that are are not necessary i mean if you think like let's compare this to like heat for example heat's you know about an hour longer than this movie almost and it seems to have and it's roughly about the same thing i mean you know more or less Mm -hmm. and there's so much more like like the widows is so much more dense than heat is you know it's it's um and Heat seems more streamlined like everything like clearly leads to the next scene we're here. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, I guess a, a, an interesting way to put it is like you could, you could predict what happened. Not not that heat is predictable, but you could. The the next scene in heat shows up, and you're like, oh, that makes sense. Like, you never know what the next scene in in widows is going to be. Like, okay, are we going to cut to Colin Farrell and his dad in that drama? Are we going to cut to Daniel Kaluuya just you know off in somebody else? Are we going to cut to these widows? Like, it, it, nothing was connected. And in heat, you know, you have. Al Pacino, you know, losing his mind in the uh, losing his mind in the police station because he just had coffee with Macaulay a half hour ago, and now Macaulay's missing, and that leads to the airport where ultimately you have your final. Uh, I mean, it leads to the, them not knowing where he is for the heist, and then so on and so forth. Like everything is just kind of connected. Um, I sort of messed up the timeline of that movie, but. Either way, what you're saying makes sense. Like in a longer movie, it's much more streamlined. Yeah. But what I think is interesting here is that you had, and you mentioned it a little bit, like you open on this, you know, conversation between Colin Farrell and uh, Brian Tyree Henry and this like political element that we didn't really know about. And it's interesting. And Colin Farrell doesn't really want to run for office, but he's, you know, it's kind of the family business. His dad, played by Robert Duvall, is, is retiring and the position is available and you know, that's interesting. And then you have these kind of opening intimate scenes with Viola Davis and, and Liam Neeson and kind of you show kind of their life outside of the criminal underworld. And that's interesting. And there's some, you know, very kind of good, smart filmmaking going on. But that's not the movie we see. And it doesn't connect. Like we said, we keep saying it doesn't connect with the other dots in the movie. Yeah, and I think what's particularly frustrating about that is though sometimes those dots can be so or can be so good, and like there's these moments of that you're you kind of ga- have to gasp at how how well executed they are, especially with the film being so kind of poorly executed. Like I thought, I, I did. I, I, there were moments when I think um, 
uh, Michelle Rodriguez, like they, there's this one moment when they walked out of the, they walked, they, it was like one of their first meetings, the widow's first meetings. And they walk out of the, the hang, the, the, whatever they call it, the, Mm -hmm. the the hangout for the, their old, their, their, uh, their husbands. And she says like, you know, they're, they're discussing the death of their husbands and they have to rob, you know, know, put their life at risk and risk jail time. And she, she says something as casual, like, "Hmm, well, that's because she holds all the cards or that's And like the way she delivered that, that line was just, was just absurd. I thought she was like out of her depth there, but there was that moment when, which ultimately had almost nothing to do with advancing the plot along. But that moment, that scene where she meets with the widower of a um of some of a, a an architect who possibly may have designed the uh, or uh, or the um the safe or the safe room that they're gonna rob is that kind of how, what you took away from that wasn't that elizabeth Debicki met him right no 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 michelle rodriguez did it's that uh, scene, and he she knocks on her on on the door looking oh for, yeah, yeah 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 and they're like and yeah 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 and, and then they 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 kind Start of like, crying yeah, they cry to each other they kiss. and they kiss and then nothing happens, goes from <laughs> oh, yeah. there. Oh yeah, I forgot about that scene. <laughs> right, but it was so powerful, but it had nothing, it had literally meant nothing. It had nothing yeah. to do with advancing the plot. It was just another time that Michelle Rodriguez could not get the information she was assigned to get by Viola Davis, but it was like a powerful moment and you're like, why did we not make the rest of these moments that powerful? Why did but, you but not? But the thing is, that, but that's what's Sorry. so infuriating is that like that, ter- that's, that scene could just be a, a, essentially a character development scene. Like here's she she is out of her element. This character of Linda, she can't do the things they need to do to be able to execute this heist. And, but then they're all hanging out together, and they're like, "You guys don't know the consequences if we fail. You guys haven't been to prison." I'm like, "This is she, now she's this like hard nosed ex con." All of a sudden, like, oh, like it, she. If, oh, she, the idea is that she went to prison. I guess so. I don't know. Like it, you never really know, but like. If you just left that stuff alone and let her be sort of this, you know, out of her element woman that is is doing something that she has no business doing, then then maybe that works a little better. I, don't, I mean, I don't think Michelle Rodriguez has it in her DNA to play a non-tough woman. Like, I feel like that's sort of her MO, mm. um, regardless of whether or not that's what the screenplay calls for. Um, but, you know, I, I just think that's that's where those types of things you know, ended up losing their luster because they totally contradicted it with another scene. Like this, this Viola Davis is sort of, you know, it's, it's sound, they did a better job with her. Like she's, she has a, a history working on, I guess the, the teacher's board. And so she's, she's dealt with people before and she's probably dealt with debate and co- and confrontation before, but she's sort of resigned herself to be this like, you know, loft housewife to Liam Neeson. Um, once uh i guess probably once they they have a have a kid and you i'm i don't know if you forgot the fact that they had a kid and that he was shot by um well spoiler alert he was shot by a police officer another plot line that sort of came and went but um you know they did a little bit better with her but you have her kind of become this like housewife you know but then she's the super badass spewing those lines like no one thinks we have the balls to pull this off. Um, so yeah, I think it's I think that was a an, an issue. I think that's why those scenes, those pro- intimate scenes that kind of 
as standalones maybe worked, but didn't tie in with the rest of the movie. Hmm. Now, well, I have to disagree with you. I liked Viola Davis's character, and I found her, I found her storyline interesting. I wish we had focused more on her. Although, um, okay, so then let's get more into that because I think that that's interesting. Spoiler alert: If you haven't seen the film, Liam Neeson isn't dead. This whole thing is set up. He he, what is the what is the point of him dying? Or pretending to have died. Okay, so since we're in spoiler territory, like yeah. there was a moment, there was a moment at the end when she finally actually does see him in the warehouse, right? Um, that like, uh, she's lying on the ground, or some, or there's some point, and they kind of have a look and a moment, and I was like, did they plan this together? Because mm, like, that would be he left his. He left his book behind with essentially plans to steal from Colin Farrell. Right. So, but the, but the heist, <laughs> but the heist where they supposedly all die, he and his crew all die, was stealing money from the other politician that it turns out Liam Neeson was splitting with Colin Farrell. Right, right, so right. It, so, so but he was, it sounded so like was, his planning on robbing Colin Farrell. So here, yeah, this is essentially let, robbing him back. Let me yeah. walk this. Let's walk through this. So <laughs> he, so, so Colin Farrell and uh, Liam Neeson, two Irishmen playing Americans, we should point out, um, planned a plan to rob um, uh, Brian Tyree Henry because that they were stealing two million dollars from him. Which was going to fund his campaign against Colin Farrell, right? That was that's your understanding. Get, no, was was Colin Farrell's t- was going to fund Colin Farrell's campaign against well, Brian Tyree? Henry. But he had plenty of money. I think they were. I think the point of stealing that money was that that he would no longer be able to really. Oh, stage oh, oh! I a, see what you're saying. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a I got campaign. you. Okay. Right. So, I got you. So, but then. Uh, uh, after Henry, uh, after uh, Liam Neeson's death, or suppose you know, after his wife thinks he's died, she is given um, his sort of handwritten uh, journal of jobs to set up, and one of the jobs he was setting up—it's like his Brett, it's like his Brett Kavanaugh notebook, right? His notebook. Um, <laughs> he was. He was planning on robbing what we t- what turns out to be uh, Colin Farrell's house, uh, where he's got a room-sized safe full of money, um, like five million dollars. Yeah, which why yeah, does he mil- have because five like, million dollars? Doesn't make any sense. Because, but, but because that number works, they pay the two back and then they split the other three three ways. Right. So so okay. Here here's here's the question. So did that money that did that money survive the blast? They did. They, they did end up stealing it, right? The two million. Yes. Yes, they did. Okay. So where did that end up? I don't know. I don't know. There was a scene on the boat with Colin Farrell and Liam Neeson that was such a throwaway scene and such a like expository scene to try to tie these loose ends together. That like I I don't know. That's where that that scene is where I sort of like gave up to a certain extent on this movie because I'm like if you want to make these twists work. Yes, you need to have some like probably some deeper details, but they're almost sure. more important to have those those details deep enough that it might need a second viewing. You know what I mean? Like we yeah. we talked in the past about like should a movie 
present itself in a way where you need to see it twice. Like that's always sort of like, should it be that detailed? And and maybe yes, maybe no. But it, it can't. I don't think the the alternative uh, or like the the other option is basically to just have a scene on the boat where they talk about their plans. Like I just felt like that was so lazy. And I loved Colin Farrell in this movie. I mean, I always like him, but I thought he was great. And I mean, I, Liam Neeson sort of, I think, like, <laughs> cashed it in on this movie. But, um, yeah, I just think that you kind of, you trying to sum up this whole thing was a perfect example of kind of the problem with this but, script. But wait, wait, well, I'm still not done. So, okay, so then, but what was his, because I really want to know, what was his plan? So his plan was, their plan was... Right. He he. So he takes the two million dollars. He splits it with Colin Farrell. So he's got it. But then he's got a bunch of. But Colin Farrell's already got a bunch of money from these kind of um, uh, whatever that's called when you grant someone a contract uh, for the city. He's been uh, paid off or bought off or kicked back. Thank you. Um, so then his plan was that he, he, did he know that his wife would try to pull this? Right. So that's so that goes back to what I was saying, where I thought for a moment like they had planned this whole thing together. Right, uh, because he like leaves. He doesn't tell her anything except, "Hey, here's this book, which I've written down all my plans in." Which is, seems like a dumbass thing for a criminal to do, by the way. Yeah, totally. <laughs> in case he ever goes to court, but uh, like including his next job, which is essentially we find out to rob Colin Farrell's money from his house. So, I guess maybe. The idea was that, you know, after a certain amount of time, Liam Neeson comes out of hiding and grabs his book and plans his heist. But but, but, but wasn't it like, for the, didn't he hand it off to one of his lackeys to, um, yes, wasn't, driver. It like, wasn't it given to her? Like, what wasn't that like his instruction to give it to her? I guess. And maybe he, his thought was that like, she would just keep it safe. I don't know. Huh. I, it's. I don't know that we're going to come up with an answer for this. Honestly, I don't know that, that there was an answer to it. If it, it those types of things, I, you know, I always talk about it, like a script needing another draft. Like it felt rushed. Like it felt like they hadn't ironed out all those details. And like, you know, because, you know, you and I have both uh, co-written screenplays before. And you know kind of that back and forth where you're discussing, you know, the backstories of everything and like what, should be in there and what should be inferred and I just I always end up picturing you know in this case Gillian Flynn and Steve McQueen having this conversation going back and forth and I'm sure they came to a conclusion and it all made sense but it never came across on the page or in the movie or wherever it got lost it just it didn't translate to to the to the movie but then finally then finally just to just to finish it off just to make it more complicated Liam Neeson is running away with Carrie Coon who was the wife of (laughs) Um, one of the other guys. One of the other guys, and I guess Viola Davis accuses him of of wanting to have a white baby so that he he doesn't get that that child does not end up murdered like his black son years ago. Is that kind of yeah? That's what I took. I away. don't know. I mean, she, I I didn't think I didn't think so much about that line um, when she was saying that. You know, but that, I think that was the idea. So I don't know. Like the, you have the additional backstory was Liam Neeson and Viola Davis lost a teenage son. Uh, he was killed by a police officer at a at a traffic stop. Which 
okay fine like if we're gonna we we can put the we can put that stuff in movies like it's it's a it's a representation of the world we live in and the time we live in fine but like and and i don't know that we should judge you know that being the way he dies versus any other way that he dies but the fact that it is so in the forefront makes it seem like that is more important than it actually was for the movie does that yeah. make sense oh absolutely like, it doesn't matter that he was shot by he could have just died like we didn't even ever have to see how he died it ended up making no difference like it, it was grief-stricken parents was the important piece it had nothing to do with it they didn't even need to cast an actor to play that kid yeah like it was also unnecessary i mean there so, must have been a point i mean i guess what you're saying is it's not necessary to what you wanted from this movie <laughs> i mean there was clearly I a guess, point yeah. in shooting and filming that rather disturbing scene but it didn't yeah it didn't it it was it was extraneous it didn't it really had i mean it 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 sort of added to the racial tensions of of um of the movie but i mean he's the kid is driving presumably his his parent his father's you know eighty thousand dollar mercedes which he bought you know from money that he robbed a bank i mean that's interesting enough you know, like right. that, that is a, yeah. and then he's killed. Like it's, it's a, it's such a comp, it's such a complex, just everything that went into that scene is so complex. Like that kid really isn't a, I mean, he's not like a, a black kid from the South side of Chicago. He's a supposed, a, presumably a rich kid who's driving his dad's car, who's mistaken for having stolen it. And I mean, right. it's like, I always like think about, this is kind of an, just a, a off topic a little bit, but I, I had to say this, you, you mentioned us writing screenplays i mean what i often thought about that on on our uh, the last movie that we made the gray area we you know we we had all these like subtle or what we thought were sort of subtle things that uh, you know like trying to trying to make the movie talk about all these different issues and i feel like at the end of the day like it really negatively impacted our movie and it kind of took away from the story and, and confused people i remember you guys reviewed our movie and you um you guys got fixated on something Just and tore and it I, apart. You did. You tore it apart. <laughs> uh, I didn't speak to you guys. Movie for, never saw the light of day for weeks. after that. <laughs> um, no, but like you guys. Um, oh yeah, you fixated on like why these kids were they uh, why these guys were you know so depressed and you know despite having pretty kind of privileged lives, which was intentional. We wanted them to have that was sort of the point of the the movie. But then ultimately, it was like you know it was distracting for you guys and. It, it it wasn't about the sort of main narrative of the story. Um, it was more of like this patina, this kind of this like this just something that you're not going to that you're going to add. It's like a layer of your movie. And ultimately, in that in this particular case for you guys, it, it, it turned out to be very it turned out to be distracting for you guys, which was a problem. And I think like yeah, the I th- Widows is an example of like many, many, many layers that you know in and of themselves are not um not bad they aren't like they aren't it's not bad that you know uh uh steve mcqueen wants to talk about you know race relations in chicago and he even tied it back to the to the plot in a way but it's also like you have to think about how those layers can distract and ultimately take screen time away from your main narrative yeah i think it's actually a really interesting point about and you know it's just this proof of really how hard it is to make a good movie with a good screenplay because you know those conversations that you guys had with the gray area about 
you know, these, these rich kids who are depressed, you know, based on their circumstances and, and, and the decision of how much of that to, because all, all of that stuff is important. Those conversations that you guys have while writing is important. And every writer has it with their, with their writing partners and every writer has it with the director. It's, it's important backstory for the filmmakers to know about their characters and about the world that they're building. But the decision about what to include and what not to include can make or break a movie on both ends of it. You can include too much that becomes distracting or you can try to be too subtle with it. And then you end up with these like poorly drawn characters. And it, it, it's finding that middle ground that is really important. And it's actually, as I'm talking about it, kind of amazing how often, you know, directors and, and filmmakers are actually able to do it well because it's really hard to make that decision correctly. Yeah, no, I that's it, that's exactly it. Um, one other thing I think I want to bring up, just because for some reason I sort of felt this way about this movie, and normally a heist movie, I don't know that it's all that important, but this movie felt like it it relied on performances, not not necessarily that the filmmakers were relying on it, but the quality of the movie seemed like it relied on the performances and. I think in many cases that was it was hurt by that because I I don't think that they were all particularly good. Did you feel that way or why did I feel that way? Why did this movie more than like some others feel like the performances were important? Well, you've got you've got um you've got so many a- actors, so many speaking roles, you know, so many um yeah. good actors who you I mean I, like this is such a an interesting point I think that you're uh, getting to or at least that I'm discovering through your question is that you know you you have a movie like this and you put someone like I mean you know Carrie Coon is recognizable but she's got about three lines and you know plays kind of a pivotal role but is not really in the movie that much and when someone like that or someone like Jackie Weaver or even someone like Robert Duvall appears on the screen you know you take notice of them in a way that you wouldn't if that was someone that you did not recognize. Um, and there certainly are some unrecognizable actors in this movie, but even like the guys who the uh, members of the crew who die, like uh, are, are one of them is uh, John, John Barenthal. Yeah. Barenthal who has like three lines, I think with a Russian accent, maybe, maybe not. I don't, I don't like him. I don't think he's very good. I don't either. He play, seems to play that part in every movie. Um, yeah. but quick, you know, dies quickly. Um, but, 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 but you know, like sometimes that can be distracting. Like why, you know, maybe it's not the best idea to cast very famous, great actors in these roles. Like there are plenty of great actors who aren't recognizable. And so you, you don't like count on them for their performances as much. Um, we had that conversation with star is born where, uh, Andrew Dice Clay was cast instead of Robert De Niro. Right. Which and, was uh, like, which worked pr- perfectly. Yeah. You would, you, you would look at that role differently if it were Robert De Niro. Um, yeah. But, you know, I, I do have to say I disagree with you about Liam Neeson. I thought he had, again, these, like, great moments. To what end, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't we, we've discussed. But um, I thought his moment in the, um, in the funeral of his son, the flashback to the funeral of his son, was, was fantastic. And I, 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 I liked his cry out at the end there about, like, needing a life, you know, needing 
um, you know, his a very brief explanation of his motivation for doing this terrible thing to, to this woman he ostensibly has a very loving relationship with is that he it wasn't it wasn't uh, an intimate relationship at the end. There, this the the death of their son destroyed their relationship, and he needed to get out of it. And yeah. um, I think ultimately he he did a great performance. I, that scene with Colin Farrell on the boat, notwithstanding. Um, I, I agree that was a kind of a mess of a scene, but um, I don't know. I, I think I, I think this is also kind of a melodrama, you know, like it's kind of like like my like, yeah. like some of my movies. They are they are they are you and you need big kind of teary eyed, messy, you know, boogers coming out of your nose performances sometimes to get these get these movies going and, and no one is better at that than Viola Davis. Like, can anybody look better crying on film than she does? I don't know. I think she's a great actress, but I did not like her in this. I don't think she was good. And, and I mentioned the scenes where she was, you know, the badass, but I, I think throughout, I wasn't convinced by her. Um, unfortunately, I also, I also thought, <laughs> and it was a small role, but I also thought Robert Duvall might be past his prime. <laughs> Um, he seems like he, he there was a scene when he was yelling at Colin Farrell and it looked like he couldn't remember his lines. Yeah. I wouldn't like, be surprised if that was the case. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know, but, and then, but on the flip side, like, like we said, Elizabeth Debicki, I thought was really good. I loved Colin Farrell in it. Um, Daniel Kaluuya, I didn't, don't think had a lot to work with, but you know, he pulled off an intimidating kind of, uh, I loved him, in you this. know, soldado in this. Yeah. You know? I loved him in this. So, yeah. <laughs> Okay, let's move on to our top five. All right, so top five widows or widowers, but you just went with widows. Well, yeah, because you, I thought you were joking when you texted me this, and well, evidently it's, <laughs> it was real. So we'll have to go with what we got. Yeah. So, well, I the reason it's top five widows and widowers it's is because you took the name of this movie and then deducted a top five from it. Well, no. Well, that's why I came up with top five widows. But then I put my list together, and I'm sort of ashamed to admit this, but I was talking to Lydia about some of my picks, and she was like, oh, so widows and widowers. And I was just like, <laughs> I didn't know there was a difference. I thought like if a, a, a wife died, you the guy was the widow. Oh, f- I didn't know there was another term for it. Okay, so basically the person who suffers the most here is me, because I did know the difference, because I know things. And thus, my list was much harder to put together. I'm smart. I, I know things. I'm I can smart. do things. things. I'm smart, Michael. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, then. <laughs> okay. I will go first, then. Um, I also thought of some widows and widowers, but I eliminated the widowers because I thought that that was the deal. But what I didn't do is not all of my characters were are married. Um, actually, I will s- switch out this one character who I... I only knew of because her name is mentioned so many times and I will put someone else in for that. So I will have, I will have one widower. Um, but my, and I will start with that widower and it is, uh, Maximus Decimus Meridius from Gladiator. Uh, good pick. I, um, I considered him, but I actually, I sort of, after I was formulating my list, gave myself a criteria of no revenge films. Okay. Uh, so that sort of excluded, um, Maximus. It, it, it stems from I, I was basically it was going to originally be no Charles Bronson movies, mm. um, and you know, kind of making it my death wish memorial list. But I just extended that to 
to um, no revenge film. So I left off Maximus. I left off William Wallace from uh, Braveheart. Um, but other than that, I went with specifically widows or widowers. Um, in fact, I only have one widow, <laughs> as, it turned, as, as it turns out. Um, but I ranked my list uh, based on how the death of this person's spouse motivated them throughout the movie. Does that make sense? Gotcha. So my number five um, is a uh, from a movie I actually just recently rewatched, um, and it is Laurence Olivier as Maxim in Rebecca. Hmm. I've never seen that film. Really? So it had been years since I'd seen it. It's definitely a uh, interesting movie. Um, Hitchcock won Best Picture for that one. Um, it was the only Best Picture win. And Laurence Olivier plays uh, Maxim. He's basically this rich guy whose who's, uh, wife, Rebecca, died. Um, and he sort of falls for, at least you get the impression at the beginning that he falls for this this other woman that he meets and they end up getting married and this woman comes back to his mansion and lives with him there and starts to uncover sort of this mystery behind Rebecca's death and sort of his uh, her husband's love for her and kind of his obsession with her um, but it, what makes it kind of so interesting is is Laurence Olivier's character you you never really learn much about him through him like you learn more about it through like the people that work for him and then kind of what um his wife uncovers so it's it's you know it it becomes very mysterious in that way um and you know in in a very hitchcockian way everything is is revealed but um it's a good movie you should check it out okay yeah i would love to i always love little known director yeah alfred hitchcock i will have to google him um my number four is Suzanne Stone Amaretto. Does that name ring a bell at all to you? Nope. From the film To Die For, and she is played by Nicole Kidman. Um, did you ever see this movie? I haven't, no. Um, so it is uh, Gus Van Sant, and um, I remember it came out. Oh, oh I remember the poster. Right? Um, I remember it came out. Um, I think like when I was just a little too young to see it, but then I saw it. Um, and basically she is a, like a kind of a, a I think she's a news reporter in a sort of a small town um, who wants to make, has dreams of, you know, celebrity and making it big. And her husband um, played by Matt Dillon uh, wants to kind of settle down and have a family. And she convinces, um, Joaquin Phoenix and some of his friends to murder her husband so that she can, you know, pursue her celebrity. Um, It's got a great cast. Yes. And, you know, it's, it's a Casey Affleck in this movie. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They were really, young. this is before, um, before, uh, this is before kind of um, American pie and, uh, uh, goodwill hunting. Um, it's, you know, it's got that kind of irreverent Gus Van Sant, irreverent kind of half comedy type of type of thing. I remember it being kind of disturbing, but like she basically, it's a great performance by her. She's incredibly sexy in it. I mean, the whole idea is that she like seduces these kids. Um, and, Nicole, Nicole Kidman, sexy. Yeah, right. Um, not buying it. And so, yeah, I would recommend you see it. It's 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 uh, it's a great film. 
I mean, actually, I, I don't want to say that. I haven't seen it in so long that I don't remember. It has a good. A it's got an 86 on Metacritic. Yeah. So it's at least as good as Widows. <laughs> All right. My number four is my only actual Widow, as it turns out. Yeah. Um, and it is from a Charles Bronson movie, although it doesn't have as much to do with Charles Bronson, but it is Claudia Cardinal as Jill McBain in Once Upon a Time in the West. Hmm. Sort of an interesting pick because, like, you never like she, you never really see her marry uh, the guy. Like, he gets killed at right before she arrives on the train. But essentially, I guess the way it worked back then is if you were agreed to be married, you were you were married mm-hmm. regardless of what happens. So, um, and then of course throughout the movie, she sort of kind of comes to terms with her grief slash understanding of what happens and inherits the land and so on and so forth. Great pick. Looking it up. That's from Sergio Leone. Yeah, I haven't seen that in so long. It's like, uh, honestly, like, it's 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 one of those movies that, like, you just kind of, you, you just sit and, like, like just watch it, like, with jaw dropped. How that's good the, the filmmaking That's is. the one like, with the opening scene that you guys always talk about, right? Yeah. But it's got so many good scenes in that. I mean, I, and... I mean, Sergio Leone movies are, like, riddled with those things, but, um, with those types of scenes, but I think Once Upon a Time in the West probably has some of the most, like, patient ones. Mm. Um, Good, Bad, and the Ugly obviously has that finale shootout that is very patient, but it's also very heightened by the music, where in Once Upon a Time in the West, Leone uses silence so well and, like, draws scenes out with just, like, kind of, you know, diegetic sound and it's it's very interesting yeah i you know i think i think he uh leon sergio leon is is not i don't think i appreciate him quite as much as you and jeremy do um but i i kind of got into that stuff you know at the same time that you guys did and you know i i certainly appreciate him i just but sorry say that again you broke up there for for someone who admires visuals so much i'm surprised no but i i i yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You have no rebuttal. No rebuttal. Okay. Um, my number three is Yushun Yen from Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Oh, good pick. Um, she's not really a widow because they were engaged. Yeah, that's um, a good pick, though. I'll count it. But, man, like, that, that sort of forbidden love. She can't be with Chow Yun-Fat because... Uh, that was his buddy, and they were engaged. Which you'd think, you know, like he's dead. You might as well, might as well be together. But um, yeah, I love that forbidden love. That's that. That's a that's an underutilized plot line that I'd like to see more often. Uh, how long has it been since you've seen that? It's movie? It's been a while. It's been a while, and I didn't see the Netflix produced sequel. Nor did I. <laughs> but um, it. Uh, I, re- I I haven't seen it in years, but I remember it being a fantastic movie i'm curious how it holds up yeah i would seems that, like that one would be that, a great one seems like one that wouldn't hold up but you know you never know yeah um all right my number three is mr carl Fredrickson from up oh that's a great one yeah so obviously completely motivated to take his his uh balloon trip because he and his wife that we meet very briefly at the beginning always aspired to travel but one thing or another led them to delay those travel plans uh, as life 
uh, sort of got in the way, uh, and, and it's and she is his inspiration throughout the entire movie. Uh, very good, very good. Okay, uh, my number is it my number two? Mm-hmm. Okay, my number two is I'm going to pull up who played this role because that would be rather no, I know who played it. Um, is Philip Phyllis Dietrichson from Double Indemnity played by Barbara Stanwyck, right? Yeah. So that's a good pick. I, it's like, <laughs> I mean, that didn't cross my mind, but when you mentioned that, I was just like, her husband doesn't die. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, that's the whole plot of the movie. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh man, that's another good one that I didn't even think about. Jeremy's favorite movie, for those of you who don't know, is it still though? Uh, we'd have to ask him. That's that's ever on the podcast again. That's the one he, you know, when in his during his busy schedule, he throws on when he's. When he's you know wants to relax, as he puts on double indemnity, double indemnity, indemnity, whatever. You don't even know the name of it. When was the last time you saw this movie? It's ah, I saw it. it's it's great. I love those. I love those um those old movies uh by with Billy Wilder. <laughs> I love Bill, Billy Wilder movies, but um I just have trouble so, believing um, that it's like his favorite movie. I mean, it is really really great. Uh, so uh, on that topic, and perhaps spoiling any potential you know favorite movies top list we ever do on this podcast mm-hmm. in in the coming years or something do you feel that your favorite movie is still master and commander i don't know i, I probably not because i feel like mine has probably changed really in the years too the apartment has always been mine but i i've i think i've mentioned this before that it, it's very possible that there will be blood is on the top of that list yeah but it's so hard to define like what is your favorite movie anymore? I mean, yeah, I mean, we are gonna we are gonna come to a point, hopefully, um, not too not too long after the um, after the the year the new year. But I think Jeremy will have a lot of um, catching up to do, uh, where we will p- hopefully do our fixies, um, yeah, for this year, and we will have to decide what our favorite movies are. And I've been listening, to, you know, and and reading some top ten lists um, so far this year, and 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 I think. Um, I think that's a tough. It's a tough call, right? Like, uh, that's why I kind of was jokingly ribbing uh, Jeremy. Like, you know, is how do you define what your favorite movie is? It's 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 a tough thing to to decide. And 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 in thinking about this, you know, needlessly and for no particular reason, I I sort of came to the frustrating conclusion that maybe it doesn't really matter. Maybe there's not much of a point in defining your favorite. It's just a fun thing to do. Um, Yeah, but. You know, and I and and in that sense, I kind of think it's it's fun to you know maybe it makes more sense to just you know throw out five movies that you think are your favorite. But I also appreciate the you know the amount of time and the thought it takes into assembling, uh, uh, you know, actually ranking and 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 you know deciding what your top fives are. But yeah, I mean, is it a question of you know is it a question of this was the greatest yeah, but- movie of the year or it's the one that makes me most you know, I, the one I enjoyed the most or, or you the know. desert Island question. Yeah. Like, yeah. What are you going to watch the rest of your life? Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's some great movies I've seen. Like the one that always comes to mind is black Swan. I remember I saw black Swan once I've never revisited it. And I remember it being very, very high on my fixie list that year. If I even participated in the fixies that year, I just, um, it was, it was one that I just, I, 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 I loved in the theater and I feel like it would just, dis- that my, yeah, my, you've mentioned you're afraid to see it again. Yeah. <laughs> So, all right. Well, my number two 
comes from a director who, as it turns out, uh, definitely seems to explore this topic um, often because there was another one of his movies that very nearly made my list, but it is Guy Pierce as Leonard in Memento. That's a good one. That's that. Yeah, that that's got to be it. Yeah, he's. Yep. Yeah. Uh, totally motivated by the death of his wife. This towed the line of being a revenge film because I think his plans. Well, his plans definitely were to kill the person. Yeah, it's definitely a revenge finds, movie. But I, you know, I don't know that it's totally a revenge movie in like the truest sense of the term, though. Like the the movie is the mystery of him more than any, you know, and what he's trying to uncover and how he's trying to do it. Um, but Christopher Nolan, obviously his his first feature, uh, second feature film after Following, um, but he also explores this, you know, widow or theme in Inception. Leonardo DiCaprio as Cobb very mm-hmm. nearly made my list. Yeah, um, and uh, a little bit in The Prestige. Um, you know, um, what's her name? Rachel something? No, that's not right. Uh, one of one, not Scarlett Johansson. The other one dies in it. Oh yeah, uh, Rebecca Hall. Rebecca Hall. I knew it was yeah. an R name. Um, she dies in that. So something that he he explores. Uh, Matthew McConaughey in Interstellar, I believe, was widowed. Right? He was. I don't remember if he. No, he was. Yeah. I knew he did. Um. So, yeah, that's my number two. Memento. Very nice. Okay. Um. Uh, my number one. This is a little bit of a cheat because they weren't married, but. It is Sarah Connor in Terminator 2. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to remember. I, it's a, I've, have, I've seen Terminator many times. Terminator 2 I've probably only seen a couple times. Well, I mean, the, wid- um, the Widow Wing takes place in Terminator, but, she, but I'm choosing to select her from Terminator 2. Does it? You don't see him die, though, in that movie. Yeah, he dies. Terminator, do you? Yeah, he dies. Yeah. Oh, okay, that works. Yeah, I that's mean, a good pull. The, I mean, the whole reason she's got this kid is because he came back to rescue the kid. I mean, you know, it's an yeah, enigma wrapped had, in a riddle. Yeah, well, and then they ha- and they had a moment under the bridge or something wherever they were. Yeah, perfect, perfect time to do that. Uh, one of the best sex scenes of the eighties. Okay, that's, <laughs> next week that's our top five is top five sex scenes of the eighties. <laughs> we're gonna do decade by decade. Yeah. All uh, right, my number one uh, is perhaps one of the more famous widowers out there. It is Doctor Richard Kimball from The Fugitive. Oh, great pick! And great pick. That is what I, I'm. I'm glad I thought of him because I actually had my list fully assembled um, with uh, Cobb from Inception as my number five, and everything just bumped up a spot, and then that came to mind. I was like, no, that's perfect. That's a number one. Yep. Yep. Excellent choice. All right. We did it. That's Top good. five widows with no exceptions. Let's never do it again. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. Uh, we encourage you guys to email us at feedback at getyourfilmfixpodcast.com. Uh, hit us up on our socials at Get Your Film Fix podcast. And, you know, leave a comment there. We can even read comments. You don't even have to go to the effort of sending an electronic mail. Uh, you can just comment. I'm staying. I'm finishing my coffee.
Enjoying my coffee. Let me let me play. let me tell our audience how the top five discussions go and like the plans no, this, for you're, the podcast. You're, you're, you're revealing no. too much. We we text we text. So what what are we what what are we when are we recording? Sunday. Okay, who's in? Okay, great. Top five <laughs> ideas. And and me and Jeremy kind of toss a few things back. Chapin doesn't say anything until Sunday at about six thirty. <laughs> we record at seven Eastern time, and then he texts hello. <laughs> and then we say, what are we doing for the top five? And then we say, we said so. Go scroll back to your text from Thursday. 